Hello, I'm Marco Zaza. And I'm David Zaza. This is Concertina Died and Other Stories of the East Side. Over the years, whenever our family was gathered around the dining table, I would tell stories about growing up on the east side of Youngstown, Ohio. These are fond memories of my youth, of my Italian immigrant parents, and of the shared experiences of family. I hope that some of the pleasure and the sense of the past that I get from telling them comes through in this podcast. So I've been listening to my father tell family stories for over 50 years now. Funny or sad or nostalgic stories. Around various dinner tables. My parents, my own, my sisters. But particularly around his sisters, my Aunt Martha's dining room table. Two decades ago, when I started a blog, I asked Dad if he'd like to join me by writing down some of these stories and posting them for all to read. He embraced the project and posted a story every couple of months we ended up with 24 stories on that blog. Ten years ago, I compiled those stories into a book, this time illustrated with family photos, to better evoke the time and place of the events my father wrote about. And now, remembering that these stories are best experienced in oral retellings, I am collaborating with my dad to put them into the broader context of this podcast. Marco can tell the tales just as he has done over the years, but now we can illuminate them with added details or tangential stories and share a bit of the laughter and tears that always accompanied their tellings. The collection of stories reveals one family's experience as immigrant and first-generation Italian-Americans. Over the next 24 weeks, we'll explore this history together, from Youngstown's East Side, Pennsylvania, New York, Texas, Germany, and also, of course, the motherland, Italy. We've posted an online version of the book at concertinadied.com so that listeners can see the images that go with the stories. So let's start in a place where so many of Marco's stories were first heard by members of our family, around a holiday dinner table. Imagine yourself on a snowy Christmas Eve in Northeast Ohio, feeling stuffed with an Italian fish dinner, sipping some anisette and cracking open some walnuts and almonds and stuffing them into dried figs. Someone says, the snow's really coming down now. And someone else says, remember the snow on the Christmas tree lot? And then we all listen up as Marco begins to relate a story from his youth. Winter Wonderland My father was what was known as a huckster. He supported our family by selling whatever product happened to be available at any particular moment. Melons and fruit in the summer, grapes for making wine in the fall, and Christmas trees in the winter. Setting up for Christmas tree sales was not some haphazard event. About the middle of November, while the ground was still soft enough to pound very large stakes into it, we began laying out the rows of stakes around the entire lot surrounding our home. It was goodbye to Mama's flower beds, as Papa paced off the exact distance between stakes, no matter where they fell. Older brother Nick was in charge of handling the large sledgehammer for driving the stakes, while my job was to hold the stake upright for him, hoping that he would hit the stake and not me. Younger brother Jerry was a go-getter for whoever wanted something. 
but he always wanted to wheel the sledge, and he probably could have done it if given the chance. Hard labor and strength were never my strong suits. After the stakes were in place, Papa then started to string electric lights, crisscrossing the entire front, sides, and backyards around our house. He used red, white, yellow, blue, and green bulbs, and we all waited anxiously for him to say it was time to test them. When they worked, we would all cheer at the colorful sight. About the first week of December, Papa and Nick drove to various tree farms and came back with a truckload of pine and fir trees. Sometimes, Papa bought trees at the siding tracks on Front Street, which came in carloads from northern United States or even Canada. Then each tree was tied to a stake so that the buyer could walk all around the tree to inspect it before buying. Prices ranged from $1.50 to $5, with what we called church trees selling for 15 or whatever Papa said it was worth. Only Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the Italian denomination Catholic Church, got a free church tree and several small ones. Everyone else had to pay. Once, when a rather nasty woman insulted Papa by claiming the tree she wanted wasn't worth a dollar and a half he was asking for it, he dramatically raised the tree in hand and declared, If for this a tree no worth to one dollar fifty, it's a no worth to nothing. With that, he flung it into the fire, which was burning in a fifty-gallon steel drum, and the tree quickly went up in flames. Stunned, the woman replied by proclaiming him to be a crazy old man, and Brother Nick jumped right in. Oh yeah, he's crazy. You better leave. She fled the lot quickly. The snow, the trees, the colorful lights, the glowing fire in a still drum keeping us warm, and the wonderful Christmas music that was blaring from a 78-speed record player on loan from Ralph Boogie Vicarell. Our east side home became a magical winter wonderland. My brothers and I would throw snowballs, hide from each other among the trees, and even occasionally take care of customers. Invariably, sometime in the evening, our sister Martha would call for us to come and get large steaming mugs of hot chocolate and cookies that she prepared for us. Certainly, we were warming up for a very Merry Christmas. Okay, so um, the story begins... Uh, my father was what was known as a huckster. Now, in a story we'll get to in a few weeks, his immigration story, you, you kind of laugh about the fact that he couldn't really hold down a job because he was always sneaking off and sleeping somewhere. And he basically really needed to be his own boss. So he settles in this new life and becomes a huckster. You say selling melons and fruit in the summer, wine grapes in the fall, Christmas trees in the winter, and... Um, and the spring? Cheese. <laughs> cheese in the spring. That he would buy and resell? Or what? Cheese that he made? He didn't make cheese, but he had a deal with Swift Company. They had a warehouse full of cheese that was moldy. My father took one look at this cheese. He knew that, that mold meant nothing to cheese. Made a deal with them and bought all the cheese that was in that warehouse for 25 cents a wheel. Now, I don't know where he got the money or if he had the money or if it was a deal he would take it and sell it and then pay them. But this was cheese that he could sell for maybe 35, 40, 50 cents a pound. And how many pounds per wheel? 
Well, it depends on the size of the wheels. Some of them were large, some were small. There probably was at least five pounds per wheel, maybe more. So there was a good profit to be made because he only paid for the wheel, 25 cents. He used to tell us the story. When he would go to this warehouse, load up his truck with the wheels of cheese, he would go into the Briar Hill neighborhoods, which were, a, there were a lot of Italians living in those areas, in that area. And he would yell out as he went through the neighborhood, cheese for sale, in Italian, I suppose. And people would come out and say, give me a pound of this. Or, In the meantime, he had a truck that had other stuff on it besides the cheese. And he would sell them peaches or whatever was, whatever was in season. Did he sell wine that way? He didn't sell wine because it was illegal. At least he didn't sell any that I know about. Okay, so but this story is about this, this wonderland that he created. I like to think of it as a magical time in my childhood. It was a magical time because he transformed our yard. It was like being in a forest. And we always had snow. Always. In Youngstown, it snowed, started in November, and it didn't end until January or February. He transformed our yard into a magical place. When you're a little boy, and there's this quiet snow falling, and there's all these trees and places to hide. And the colored lights. And the colored lights. It is magical. Yeah, of course. Okay, now you talk in the story about the sights, the lights, the colors, the trees, and then also that there's this Christmas music playing on old 78 records in the window. But you don't mention any smells, the scent of the trees, the wood fires, the baking, or the hot cocoa. You're right. I should have mentioned the smell of pine because it was everywhere outside. And the music only added to it. It was all Christmas music, of course. And smoke, yes, because there were these 50-gallon drums, metal drums, that always had fires going on. And there was maybe three or four of them dotted around the different places in the yard, always away from the trees. Because, as you know, pine trees will go up in a second, and then they're done. They don't burn forever. They just zoom. They go. Like with the one tree he burned up in the story. He said if it's not worth a dollar and a half, it's not worth anything. And he threw it in the fire. He was not uh, a tall man. He was a small man. <laughs> but he just picked up a tree. And he picked it up yeah. with one hand and put it into the drum that was on fire, that, that had a fire going in it. He only stood maybe five foot, five one, maybe. Okay, so how old are you in this, uh, when, when this is happening? You're a young boy. I right? was young, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember the age exactly. I'm asking because uh, you're quoting Uncle Nick as jumping in to tell that lady to, she better get out of there. And that sounds very much to me like Uncle Nick, but he must also have been pretty young too, no? He was young. Remember, he's five years older than I am. So if I was eight, he was 13. But I always remember Nick as being my father's protector. And he was a fighter, unlike myself. I was not a fighter. And he wasn't afraid to face anyone. And I guess he got that from my father, because my father was also a fighter. If you crossed him, he fought you. And he'd probably win. And, and he didn't worry about fairness. He would use a two-by-four or a crowbar or whatever he had handy. So he didn't worry about that. And he threatened that lady to get off the property. He didn't even threaten her. He just, But just the fact that he threw that tree into the barrel and it burned up, scared the hell out of her, and she left. 
especially when my brother verified the fact when she said he was crazy. This old man is, that old man is crazy. And my brother said, yeah, he is. I was there. I saw this happen. <laughs> and were you, and were you scared or entertained by this? I was not entertained. I think I probably was frightened a little because my father frightened me. I was never sure what he was going to do or how, if he was going to get hurt. And I didn't want him to get hurt. I mean, what if this woman had her husband with her and the husband pulled a gun and shot my father or punched him or something? Okay. You mentioned that the music was blaring from a 78-speed portable record player uh, and that Ralph Vicarell lent it to you. And also, uh, he provided the Christmas records themselves. Your, your parents didn't play music or have any records of their own? They did, but it was mostly Italian. <laughs> And the record player was an old Philco. It was not portable. You couldn't bring it out. It was a piece of furniture. Yeah, it was a piece of furniture. Small, but it was a piece of furniture. But Ralph would lend us a portable record player that we would put in the window of the tiny little office that we had and open the windows to let more cold air in. (laughs) And we would turn the volume up as loud as we can. And he gave us all the Christmas records he had. So we played them over and over again until we probably wore them out. And he didn't care because he would order more records. He was a bachelor and he did what he wanted with his money. Well, this is all extremely cinematic. I feel like I've been just watching an old Hollywood holiday movie. One of those ones where you feel like you can smell the cookies baking. And then, you know, Aunt Martha would come to the rescue with... We waited for that. We knew that sometime during that evening... She was going to call one of us to come to her. Her home sat back on the property. Our home was on the corner. There was all kind of land around it. And then there was Martha's and Joe's rental apartment was sitting set back. And, it, and there was a gravel path that led from our house to Martha's house. And we knew that sometime during the night, she would come and wave to us. And one of us would go there. And she had hot chocolate and cookies. And we, we knew that was going to happen. It wasn't a guess. We knew. Homemade cookies. Homemade, of course. So you've told me that as a baby, when uh, the family was in another house before this one we're talking about, that there was no Christmas tree yet, just a creche that your father made in a niche in the wall. Very uh, traditional Italian. But I guess your folks started to integrate a little bit into American culture? And eventually they started doing a Christmas tree. This was your father's doing? He was more worldly than my mother. He was out in the world, and so he knew about Christmas trees. Then he decided he would sell Christmas trees, and we would have a tree in our home. And would he decorate it, picked it out, and he brought it in, and it was all his doing? Or was it more your mother? My mother would go, and she would pick the tree out, and sometimes she'd put that tree aside from all the other trees but he would sell it and put another tree there. And my mother would know that, and she'd say, this is not the tree I picked. And he'd say, yeah, but I got $5 for that tree. And she'd say, he'd say, pick another tree. There's all kinds of trees out here. <laughs> but he would tell people, my wife wants this tree, but if you want it, I'll sell it to you. But it's $5 or $10 or whatever it was. Okay? The price went up because of demand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a... He was a, a huckster. I don't know how else to tell it. He knew how to get the money for the tree, even if it was selling it out from under his wife. <laughs> he didn't care. A tree was a tree to him. 
put any tree there. He used to tie two trees together to make one whole tree. <laughs> you told me about this. Two trees having a bad side. Yeah, two trees have a bad side. He'd put them together and he'd tie them. So now it was like one big tree. It still looks like two trees together. I mean, people would buy this. Sure. People bought anything because they were not, I don't know if we we're more choosy today or what, but people went along with stuff like that because money was scarce. And if they had to spend two bucks for a tree, that was a lot of money. And so they would say, but this is two trees together. My father said, okay, give me a dollar. So then they'd give him a dollar and, he'd, and they'd take the tree. <laughs> he actually would drill a hole in the tree and put branches in it if there wasn't enough branches. <laughs> Artificial live trees. Because <laughs> he'd say to people, you can do that. You know, he'd tell them. They'd say, but it's empty down here. And he'd say, but you, put, you drill a hole and you put, the, put a branch in there. So, And sometimes he did that towards the end of the sale. To make the tree attractive. Right. He would do anything. There was nothing he was above doing. It's a brilliant solution because anybody who ever bought a tree knows there's going to be spots where there's nothing so in there. So you drill a hole and you stick a branch in there. But he made sure he put the same kind of branch because we had several different types of trees. Blue spruces into a Douglas fir. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what he did. Okay, any last thoughts on Winter Wonderland? No, but I, I like to think back on Winter Wonderland because I, I feel warm when I think about that. For the end credits, let me just say, of course, the story is all Marco. But the questions are not just me. It's a real family affair. My sister Stephanie Zaza was extremely helpful in sending questions to help move the conversation along. And my mother Marie Zaza was piping in in the background at times, with some questions but more with laughter. Thanks to both of them. And the Christmassy music for this episode is Lights of Winter and Buying Presents by Bortex and available on freemusicarchive.org. Thank you for listening. And Marco, I'll talk to you next week.